This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. It is turning out to be. Um, we were just remarking on it in the newsroom, uh, Claudette, myself, uh, Richard Duggan, and uh, Noah Shepard, how, you know, things have been you know, relatively quiet, almost feeling like, you know, everybody's taking time off with the sunshine <laughs> we're finally <laughs> getting. They could, um, yeah. And then, ba-boom, it all just happened uh, in one fell swoop. So we're going to try and get through some of it uh, for you here in the next hour and uh, through the newscast at uh, 5 o'clock. And by now, most Newfoundlanders and Labradorians will have received their property assessments in the mail. They've been going out over the last couple of weeks. And while no one is happy to see their assessments rise you know in in the end it means that your property taxes are going up um some serious concerns were raised on vocm open line with patty daly this morning by at least one resident of marystown which is dealing with the fallout of the closure of the canning bridge if you recall back in february they closed the canning bridge uh, due to um, some serious uh structural concerns with that uh, particular span and that effectively cut Creston North off from Creston South. And so people now in the Creston North area uh, getting their property assessments, some of them going up rather significantly. Here's what uh, this uh, woman, Jackie, had to say on Open Line this morning. Hi, I'm calling about our property tax assessment that we just got uh, property. My house value went up $40,000 and we haven't done a thing. We're in Marystown, Creston South. If I went to a real estate agent right now with that Kenning Bridge being closed, our house value would be way lower. So that was Jackie on uh, open line this morning. A $40,000 increase in her property assessment in Creston South. That's uh, rather extraordinary. Well, Marystown Mayor Brian Keating joins me now. Well, Brian Keating, we've heard uh, now from uh, at least one resident of Marystown not too happy with the latest property assessments. Uh, What's your response to that? I agree with her totally. I've had uh, several dozens of phone calls, the same thing, uh, uh, most of the people that get their new assessment, their assessment has increased, and not by a small amount either, by large amounts. But I want to let everybody know that's actually not done by the municipalities. That's done by the assessment board for the province. Uh, and uh, actually, I'll bring that forward to our council. We're actually going to write a letter to them and explain the situation. Situations that uh, the property values are actually should be dropping in Marystown right now. I know that will affect the tax dollars of the town, but... My job is to protect the taxpayers of the town. And right now we agree with the, the dozens of people that called in this lady that called in the line this morning. Uh, the assessment shouldn't be going up for several good reasons. While the property value, the economic uh, situation on the Bjorn Peninsula is low, the Canning Bridge is definitely one that affects all the, all the properties on the south side of Marystown. Right now, we even got people moving from the south side renters trying to get facilities on the north side because of convenience to the clinics, grocery stores and everything. So I agree with her 100%. But let me uh, know that the council are working and looking into this on behalf of the residents of Marystown. But there is, on the back of your uh, assessment, there is a appeals 
uh, application that you could send in. I want to let everybody know that there is a process you can do, but we are looking into it ourselves because I've, like I said, even my own assessments has gone up dramatically, and and uh, it never. It never improved. The home never got no bigger. The land never got no larger. You know, and and right now uh, with all these new increases with the gas taxes going up and everything, the residents of Newfoundland, Labrador, and Marysan in my hometown are definitely can't afford it. It's just unbelievable how everything keeps going up, except for the wages and the pensions. They all stay the same or even go lower. But I agree with her 100%, and we are looking into it as a municipality. And people said, oh, well, Brian, why are you doing that? Uh, the higher the taxes, the more revenue for the town. Well, it also makes people move out of their homes. It makes people want not to live in your town. So what is fair is fair. The assessment's got to be reevaluated. We're reaching out to the assessment board. Uh, we're calling a special meeting on it next week. We got our council meeting, and that's going to be the topic, the first and number one topic for the residents of the Marystown because we don't believe the assessment should have went up. If anything, on the south side especially, it should have went down. So what's the latest now on the Canning Bridge? Well, the Canning Bridge right now, we're getting some uh, good information from the government. Of course, you see the uh, cabin shuffle yesterday. Uh, we had a great rapport with um, Minister Loveless. Now, Minister Abbott is uh, taking over as of yesterday at 3 o'clock. So, uh, actually, I'm meeting him uh, this evening. Uh, the Canning Bridge is, uh, I guess, for better words, in progress. Uh, the engineering is uh being set forward now. They got firms looking to give uh, design build proposals and stuff, which eliminates the stay the, the RFP uh, process. So that's going to save us some time. But like I tell the residents, full disclosure, right now it's still going to be another two to three years. Right now there'll be no demolition, no construction done on the Canning Bridge this year, this uh, construction season. It'll be just engineering and design. The best case scenario, and I try to tell everybody the facts that we get, we only get the facts from the government that they tell us. Right now, I don't believe there'll be anything, my opinion, now this is my opinion, any demolition or construction uh, for the latter part of next year. So we're still looking at three years, three to five years uh, before completion. And, and now that, you know, people have had months to um, sort of process this and deal with the realities of trying to get back and forth, uh, uh, how, what kind of an impact is it having on residents? You, you already mentioned that some people, who, especially renters, are, are leaving or moving. They're moving from the south side to Marystown, so that the south side to the north side of Marystown. So you know that's affecting people that got new homes and put apartments in to help with their mortgages. They're putting them in a financial bind. Uh, the blue collar workers that got to take taxi services or something, uh, they're trying to relocate. Uh, even uh, my biggest one is that there's a seniors uh, complex on the south side of Marystown, which affects the whole Bjorn Peninsula. People coming to visit uh, the their family members or loved ones in those homes. Uh, you know, the government's always talking about mental health and stuff. What well, used to be three weeks, uh, three to four visits a week, now we're cut down to maybe one because the price of gas, that extra 25 kilometers to do, the inconvenience. And I'll tell you right now, the domino effect of what's going on with that uh, bridge uh, is phenomenal. It's it's devastating our town. And like people says, oh, well, you got an, we got an alternate route. Yes, we got an alternate route. But it's like I tell people, uh, if you had something, they took it away from you, no fault of your own, 
You know, it's uh, devastating. It's uh, like my my parents are elderly parents lives on the south side. I live on the north side. But I used to go once a day. I always did. Now it's probably twice a week. So, you know, it's got a domino effect. Uh, biggest thing I tell people is that uh, if you got to spend an extra $100 to go to work, it's better for you to stay home. And that's what's happening. The, the part-time workers can't afford to go to work, so it's affecting them. Then, uh, then that affects their family. Uh, even the full-time employees that got to drive, drive an extra, uh, put it this way, 25 kilometers a trip, five days. So you look at 125 uh, kilometers a week. So you're looking at 500 kilometers a month. If you've got a lease vehicle, there's little things that nobody looks at that affect people. A lease vehicle, now you can't use your lease vehicle for any uh, leisures to go anywhere else because the kilometers you got on your lease vehicle are only good for that to work only. So it's it's so much bigger than just being inconvenienced. The financial devastation for the maritime residents and the Bjorn Peninsula residents is, is undescribable. It's... But in saying all that, we, the government, know that we got a lot of frustrations, a lot of costs. They are working with us, and I hope Minister Abbott now, and I will be talking with him tonight at the minister's dinner in Grand Bank. And I'm going to, we had a great rapport with uh, Minister Lovelace, and we hope it's going to be the same with uh, Minister uh, Abbott. And I'll tell you right now, the mayor and the councillors of Marystown have got their foot on the pedal. We're not letting it off. We're not letting this go by the past. You know the old saying, if you don't hear much about it, be forgot about it. The only thing I can guarantee the residents of Marystown and Bjorn Clinton, we're never going to forget about it. And we're going to be on this every week. This is a topic that I deal with every week, and the council deals with every week. And I'll tell you right now, uh, the government knows it. And this bridge is the lifeline that will make our break Marystown. Not only that, a big thing that they don't realize, well, I think I do, I shouldn't say that, they don't realize, is that now the mine in St. Lawrence is open, and right now they're still talking about shipping their uh, floor spray out of the Kiewit uh, facility in Marystown. But when you take all the cars from two arteries and put them on one, the safety the transportation and the safety issue. And now the mine is going to be out and running with 50, 60 tractor trailer loads of uh, floors power coming back and forth as well. It's a big safety issue uh, when everybody's, and you know, it's the nature of humans and myself included that, Oh, I, I can make it. I can get out through here. And well, you know what? Uh, the danger aspect has increased tenfold, you know, and, you know, when your traffic goes from, say, 300 vehicles an hour to 1,500 vehicles an hour, and they're just numbers I riddled out, uh, you know that it's a safety issue. And, you know, uh, we're uh, residents are mostly seniors, a lot of seniors and stuff. And, you know, they're not used to being rushed and they're not used to that much traffic. So, you know, it's a scary – it's not only a financial burden, it's a life safety issue as well. Brian Keating, do keep us up to date. I know you have that uh, meeting with the minister. Let us know how that goes. Yeah, feel free to call me. And I said, our, our policy is full transparency. When we get information, as you're all aware, we, we're the first thing we do. We let our residents know. Brian Keating, thank you. Thank you. 
the Marystown Mayor, of course, Brian Keating, uh, meeting with transportation, new tr- transportation in- infrastructure minister John Abbott this evening in Grand Bank. He calls the Canning Bridge a lifeline, and uh, the the impacts of the uh, closure of that bridge are certainly being felt in the community and are continuing to be uh, felt in a very big kind of way. Well, coming up, the provincial government yesterday shuffled around its cabinet duties. You just heard me mention the new Transportation and Infrastructure Minister, John Abbott. We'll hear from the ministers about their new duties right after this. And we have a little update on the um, Iceberg Alley uh, performance tent. Uh, The lineup for tonight has changed. I'll tell you about that when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we are back. And uh, Claudette, a little update on the Iceberg Alley performance tent. Uh, are you going to get a chance to get down over? I don't believe I will. The coming days? But I know lots of people who are. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's certainly popular, I have to say. Uh, that's all the buzz uh, around here these days. Well, there's an update uh, regarding tonight's performance. Unfortunately, uh, says Iceberg Alley, Lee Aaron has experienced some unexpected flight delays today. And we all remember Lee Aaron from the 1980s. What you do to my body? She certainly was the metal queen. Oh, yes, for sure. And Canadian on top of it. Well, mm-hmm. she's apparently in the air trying her best to make it to tonight's performance. Uh, due to these uh, travel issues, says Iceberg Alley, the order of tonight's lineup will now be Streetheart is taking the uh, stage first, which Brian Medore will be most excited to hear he's uh i think he's going tonight just specifically to see streetheart um honeymoon suite and then lee aaron so fingers crossed her flight gets in on time uh and iceberg alley is uh thanking streetheart and the headliners honeymoon suite for accommodating the lineup change so there you have it if you have tickets for tonight uh, the lineup has changed slightly streetheart honeymoon suite and then lee aaron well the provincial cabinet uh has a slightly new look to it. Uh, The Premier made a cabinet shuffle yesterday, precipitated, of course, by Minister Derek Bragg's cancer diagnosis. He is now a minister without a portfolio. Elvis Loveless moves to fisheries from uh, transportation and infrastructure. Paul Pike is entering the cabinet for the first time, and he will be the new Minister of Children, Seniors, and Social Development. Uh, That means John Abbott is going to be moving to transportation and infrastructure Structure. Well, John Haggie takes on municipal and provincial affairs, trading places with Crystalline Howell, who moves to education. Well, VOCM's Richard Duggan and others spoke with some of the new ministers about their new portfolios, beginning uh, with the new face in cabinet, Paul Pike. Back when I was elected, I had the honor of being asked by the premier if I would uh, become his parliamentary secretary. And that gave me certainly uh, great insight into uh, what to expect and the inner workings of government. And I was also given the opportunity to speak for the Premier on a number of occasions. And in doing so, uh, realized right away that uh, this this government uh, is well respected by uh, by its constituents and by the residents of this province. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly working under the vision of the Premier. Uh, and, uh, you know, to echo everybody else's statements, I'm proud to be part of the family. I was proud to be part of caucus, proud to be part of cabinet, and we all work together. 
and, uh, and we work well together. So it's a real honor to, for me today to get this position. Uh, it took a lot of hard work, uh, but eventually, uh, you know, the hard work pays off, and you, and you get a position like this. And my, my goal is in my particular portfolio is to uh, certainly set some priorities. I know what they are, and uh, we'll just move forward. It's a it's a privilege and an honor always. I mean, anybody who is charged with responsibility of fisheries, uh, knowing that we're founded on the fisheries, uh, is is very important. And I come from a district that uh, is heavily reliant on on the fisheries, so it's. Uh, I'm I do have big shoes to fill uh, with Minister Bragg because I think he did a honorable job with the um, challenge around the crab fishery and the fishery in general. Uh, I think he did a great job, and uh, I think the people of the province recognize that too. And uh, we are where we are, and the Premier asked me to uh, come back into the role, and I'm looking forward to it, and to continue on where Bragg has left off. And uh, I look forward to the challenges. There, there are many challenges, but I think through the crab fishery, uh, I think the Premier and Minister Bragg gave the message to the province that things are going to change. So I, I, I'm looking forward to being part of what that change will look like. And uh, I got my sleeves rolled up. I don't have them rolled up here now, but they are. Uh, Minister Howell, how about yourself moving into education? Um, and, you know, we're kind of in the summer here now. It's probably a good time to maybe start in that portfolio. But what will your priorities be? Absolutely. Certainly excited to take on this role and uh, thank the Premier for the opportunity. Thank the Minister Pryor for uh, identifying some of the needs and the challenges that can be addressed in uh, the education system. And as you said, the summer is upon us, so that'll be a great time to take stock, to figure out uh, how things are, are moving and rolling in the department and to continue the, the good work that's happening. We've, we're on a course to transform education in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, as with a, a number of things. So certainly looking forward to being part of that and continuing the, the good work that's been done and working with the incredible staff that I know already exist in the Department of Education. Minister Abbott, uh, same question for you. How does it feel now to go into the state portfolio? Well, no, thank you. And uh, after the Premier called and asked me if I'd want to take this on, I was certainly more than pleased. I was the former Deputy Minister of that department, so I have a sense of some of the issues, but really building on Minister Loveless and the work he's done, uh, that he was able to commandeer $1.4 billion from uh, Minister Cody for, for highways. <laughs> that was no, that was no uh, easy feat, I can tell you that. So we have roads to build, hospitals to build, schools to build, uh, water bombs to keep in the air, air ambulance to keep in the air, so there's a lot of work to be done, and uh, just going to build on the, uh, on the plans that are in place and figure out ways that we can do things better, smarter, and more cost-efficient. So that's, that would be my approach. So those are some of the uh, newly sworn-in cabinet ministers in the provincial uh, cabinet uh, uh, precipitated by the um, um, health diagnosis for uh, Derek Bragg, and he is now a minister without a portfolio. Well, the Atlantic Province's Economic Council brought together business and industry leaders from across the province this week to discuss a broad range of topics from immigration to housing to the green energy transition. Uh, another big topic, of course, the labor crunch. Well, Nancy Hart senior manager commercial with Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro addressed that issue this week. Okay, that's great. So, so let's just kind of go to a general question for our panelists. Um, I know if we uh, look at 
I think most of you have shared this, that the labor issue, we did this polling question in Nova Scotia, what's the biggest challenge? And everything was around 5 to 10%, and then labor was by far, you know, 60% plus. So so in terms of labor issues, um, and Nancy, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, you've got a lot of investments happening. Uh, you need your existing employees. You probably need other people as you develop new facilities. So what are you doing? How are you planning to ensure that you're going to have the workers you need to advance these projects as they move forward. Thank you for that, David. Um, yes, the labor market has um, definitely changed post-COVID. I think every organization has seen that. Um, what's different for us as a utility, especially as a crown utility, is that um, our attrition rate has been traditionally very, very, very low. Um, and we have seen in this past year a doubling of our attrition rate. Um, we have also, um, we've seen people leave the, the workforce mid-career, which is a little bit different. So um, we're seeing that people uh, have opportunities elsewhere. They can work from home. Um, they can work for global companies right here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that's a challenge. Um, we do have um, a response to that. Uh, just like everybody else, we're, we're scrambling to, to catch up um, and to recruit um, in, in certain areas. So our um, within Hydro, we have a really strong diversity and inclusion program, um, and that is uh, very much alive and well, uh, and it really it speaks to people. Um, we, we also have, uh, we're doing a lot of frontline supervisor training. So we have seen um, since, the, since the pandemic that our frontline supervisors are having to deal with a lot more issues that they didn't have to deal with before. We're seeing an increase in sick leave. We're seeing people bring um, personnel issues to work. There's a little bit more conflict. Um, we've all changed since the pandemic. Um, so instead of, instead of hiding from that, um, we're, we're embracing that opportunity to kind of wrap our arms around our frontline supervisors. Um, we're also trying to build capacity within our contractors um, and to work closely with our contractors for those resources um, and to get those resources, if we don't have them ourselves, to bring them in from uh, other places. Well, that's Senior Manager Commercial with Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro, Nancy Hart, uh, talking about some of the challenges faced by um, the labor crunch, uh, including at Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro, which has always had relatively low attrition rates. If you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, what do you know about farming? It may come as a surprise to some to know that the capital city has a very rich farming history. This is News Talk on VOCN. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin, the cabin party with Brian O'Connell, Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Well, the O'Brien Farm Foundation off Mount Sio Road in St. John's, we can uh, kind of see it looking across Kenmount Road here up on the hill, um, is hosting the grand opening of its new learning center this weekend. O'Brien Farm Manager Aaron Rogers joins me now. Well, hello, Aaron, on this lovely sunny day for a change. <laughs> Yeah, it's gorgeous up here at the farm. Oh, for sure. And a farm is where you want to be when the sun is shining. So you've got a bit of a celebration coming up this weekend. You're finally opening your new learning center. Tell us a little bit about it. 
Yeah, so, you know, it's been a, certainly a, a lot of effort um, over the last couple of years getting this open, but we've got an interpretation center and we have a kitchen barn and the simple cottage is restored and looks beautiful. And we've got some sheds and the gardens and the fields. Uh, so it's finally kind of all available for people. And this is the last vestige of what was once a fairly well-established farming community in this general area of the capital city. Yeah, it really is. Um, the farm was uh, started in 1818, so it's over 200 years old, and it was running as a farm uh, until the 2000s. So, um, you know, it but it, it did really start to fall apart when the O'Brien family, as they were aging out, they didn't have any kids to take over the farm. And, um, and then when the last family member passed away, you know, it, it, there was a real opportunity for it to uh, get gobbled up uh, by housing or commercial development or things like that. And there were a lot of really good people that um, went out of their way to, to keep it in an agricultural setting, but also give it like a real uh, modern uh, touch in terms of what the space could be for the community. So what have you got there for people who are uh, visiting for the first time or repeat visitors? Well, so what we're doing is we're trying to be really um, – hands-on with a lot of what we do so so if someone just wants to come up uh for a visit they certainly can we're just about to open our our little museum and that will also connect to, to historic symbol cottage which is a 170 year old cottage and then um they can walk around the farm and we'll have uh different uh, panels for people to see um but we're connecting those with through an app so people will be able to have a little bit of video and audio about some of the spaces that are here, kind of, you know, again, bringing the old and the new together. And then we're also having lots of activities. So we've got, you know, kids activities. We have adult education activities. We have craft beverage activities. Um, a lot of, you know, just using the space for, for events and things like that over the, over the summer and fall. Does it come as a surprise to some people to know that uh, there is this uh, farming heritage in the region? Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, everyone just kind of makes an assumption that farms were always, you know, well outside of town and is always in rural areas. Um, and uh, so, so having something that's, you know, less than a kilometer from the Avalon Mall is, uh, is shocking to a lot of people. And then when I tell them that, you know, the Avalon Mall, probably a parking lot with some of the best farmland in all of uh, St. John's, they're even more shocked. So <laughs> it's, um, it is, it's a bit of a shock to people, but I think people do understand it. You know, there's been a, there's been a real push, uh, to, to, understand and and try and solve some of the food insecurity problems and people know that that starts with farming and of course the o'brien farm uh, while many people in st john's are well familiar with it because it was private property probably never really you know had access to it or were familiar with it on a on an intimate level yeah absolutely i mean it's 
you know, it's it's not easy to have a farm, and people see a lot of the open space, and and it's a real you know inviting opportunity for messing around and things like that. And I, I you know, I get it. We were all young once, and when Mark Critch was up here, he had a few jokes about you know sneaking around on the property and all. So I understand <laughs> the um, you know, the O'Briens. They were though, especially Ali O'Brien. I mean, from all accounts, the people that knew him said he was just really, really inviting. If it was if you wanted to learn about the farm and learn about Irish heritage and how those kind of two relate. Um, So it's kind of both a hidden gem and, um, and something that a handful of people knew about and, and are glad that it's kind of, again, being represented back in the community. And you mentioned something important there, because I think anybody who remembers Ali O'Brien, he was one of the last Gaelic speakers here in Newfoundland and Labrador, self-taught, my understanding is, very passionate about his Irish heritage, and uh, kept a lot of the those traditions that were brought over from Ireland, those farming traditions. Is that part of what you uh, are hoping to preserve there? Oh, 100%. So that's that's the next phase. And that's the really exciting part of what we're doing now that we've, you know, have an interpretation center opened up and we have all these farming spaces and, and maker spaces and sheds that we can build stuff in and all is going back through a lot of the recordings and the notes that were done by Allie and, and people that knew Allie. And we're so lucky that those still exist and we have them and really look at the information there and uh, are able to kind of like reinterpret it for, you know, both kids and, and youth, but also adults who are really interested in it as well. There's, there's so much information in a lot of that that is now kind of repackaged for like a modern farm or things like that but a lot of it really does stem from this you know living off the earth um, and living off your land mentality that a lot of you know that that came over from Ireland with a lot of Irish farmers in the in the 1800s. And of course, the sustainability was the key back then because you didn't have a lot of luxury to throw things away. You had to use and reuse and and repair and and make the most out of what you had. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it was funny when as we were developing out the the kind of museum space, um, we didn't have as much to put in there as we thought we would, and the reason was is because. The boys, you know, Allie and John and Mike, I mean, they used the tools until they were completely unusable, <laughs> fixed and refixed and rewelded and, you know, n- new uh, handles put on everything made out of the stick that's just sitting around and all. And so, um, you know, it, it it's that kind of self-sufficiency that we want to be able to talk to people about and also uh, get more and more people kind of having an understanding of that it's possible uh, because, you know, our uh, people that, that lived here well, again, well into the 2000s, um, did that every day. So uh, what uh, what's happening on Saturday? When and where and, and what time? Yeah, so on Saturday we're going to have our first annual, fingers crossed, uh, Hoot Nanny. So um, it's from 11 to 4. It's a nice little family-friendly event, so people will be able to come onto the farm, um, 
have a walk around. We've got picnics for sale, picnic basket um, items for sale. We'll have kids activities. We have some flower activities, some craft activities. Um, certainly see the property. Um, walk around the trails, go up to the big fields, uh, and see some of the farms that we have with our newfound farmers program, our farm incubation program. So some of the young farmers that are starting their farm businesses here on our property, they'll be there kind of showing what they're doing. Uh, um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be just a, a really, really nice uh, day activity for families. And have I seen some horses up there? Are there horses up there? <laughs> she asks, <laughs> no, had being passionate about horses. Yeah. So our neighbor, uh, Chris, has a few horses across across the road. Again, it, it feels like you're stepping back into a real agricultural community, which is, again, so funny. You're, you're right around the corner from Avalon Mall. Uh, so he has horses, but we uh, I'm always a little nervous about horses. I got bit by too many times growing up. So, um, But we do have – we have some beautiful goats. And uh, and we keep bees right now, and I have a handful of chickens, so maybe I'll get over my fears, and we'll get a little pony up here soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, I hope you do get over that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anybody who's bitten by a horse does, certainly doesn't forget it. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate your time. Sorry for the PTSD. Oh no no no! It's I'm the last bout. Yeah, you had a good childhood if you get if you've ever been bit by a horse. There you go, Aaron Rodgers. Really appreciate your time. All the best now this weekend. Oh, thank you so much. So Aaron's a little bit afraid of horses. I'm a little bit afraid of. I love them, but if they're big, I kind of mm, yeah. it's their long legs and wondering if they're going to kick you that's the only thing for or step me. on you or just crush you <laughs> there's so many possibilities but i do love horses they i are do beautiful. love horses and i understand his fear i get it uh i'm afraid of bees there, oh i said it if they're really? buzzing around me i'm like I'm, I'm that person goes you're not going to have a hive in your house anytime oh, soon no. no 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 i love and appreciate and respect what bees they do yeah beyond beyond measure. love what you did um what? i love what you did there beyond <laughs> yes she's on to me um but uh yeah if they're buzzing around my you know and especially when you just hear the buzz and you don't know if that's a wasp one of those dickenses <laughs> yeah i can't stand it or a know, hornet <laughs> yeah exactly this time of year too right yeah or a deer fly or a scout <laughs> anything oh with wings except for birds there we go <laughs> um coming up bill bell media has laid off some 1300 people and it's shut down a number of radio stations sending shockwaves through the canadian media landscape well we'll speak with a broadcast consultant about what all that means uh coming up right after this this is news talk on vocn saturday morning join us for the irish newfoundland show send your request to irish nl at voc or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. And this uh, this is a bit of news that uh, certainly resonated for us in this business, uh, Claudette. Uh, Bell Media has decided to lay off over 1,000 people and close the doors or sell off nine radio stations across the country. The Canadian media giant has cut 1,300 positions and is shuttering six radio stations and selling off three others in an attempt to cut losses. Well, VOCM's Noah Shepard speaks with broadcast consultant Mark Mayhew about the ramifications of those layoffs. What was your reaction to hearing about uh, these widespread layoffs? 
I would say my reaction, uh, like most of the people in the radio industry, was saddened uh, by it. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, we've reached a point now where uh, a major broadcaster in the com- in the country uh, feels it necessary to, to turn radio stations off and let them go dark. It's kind of a sad commentary on, on you know, where we are now. In your vision, what do you think went wrong? Um, you know, there, there are a number of uh, areas here that have kind of brought us to this point. First of all, uh, there was recently a review of radio uh, uh, undertaken by the CRTC to take a look at, um, you know, the rules and regulations that govern radio and are they still relevant today in light of the new competition that radio is facing from unregulated competitors online and uh, everywhere else. And um, broadcasters were certainly looking for some relief. Uh, most of the relief they were looking for did not did not arrive and did not materialize. One of the areas they really wanted some uh, uh, relief on was in the area of AM radio and ownership limits in markets. Uh, right now, in, in larger markets, broadcasters are limited to owning four stations, two AM and two FM, no more than two of each in each marketplace. Uh, broadcasters wanted the government to remove the stipulation that uh, they could own two AMs and two FMs and just you know, let them own four, all of them being FM, so they could be competitive. Uh, that wasn't granted. Uh, the government moved a little bit and said you could own three FMs, but that left a lot of orphaned AMs sitting out there by themselves trying to compete in a, in a digital world, which is increasingly difficult. And I think what you saw yesterday with Bell deciding to turn off six AM radio stations, uh, that was their response to... Uh, the new regulatory environment. Would you say that this is uh, possibly a tipping point for the end of AM radio? Um, I hope I hope it is not. Um, I think radio stations like VOCM uh, have been doing it right for a lot of years and will continue to do it right for many, many more years. I think AM radio stations that have made a commitment to spending money to make money um, have been successful. You know, most AM radio stations these days that are having success are in spoken word formats like all sports or news talk. Uh, VOCM has been a historically fantastic radio station serving uh, uh, its community with news and information. Uh, that is expensive because it's done with people. Playing songs is relatively inexpensive, uh, but filling the airwaves with spoken word by smart people uh, who understand what's going on in the world is an expensive endeavor. And companies that make that commitment um, uh, tend to get paid off if they're willing to stick with it over time. Um, you know, VOCM has had a long, rich heritage of providing news and information, and uh, they will continue to do so and will be successful. Uh, other radio stations you know, haven't started doing that or started too late. And in today's world, it's very, very difficult to catch up. Other than size or population, uh, what sets the Newfoundland market apart with radio? As you've uh, sort of alluded to, there's a bit of a different landscape here. There is. And I, I think Newfoundland is a great example where radio thrives for the reasons that make radio successful in a lot of places. And that is radio is an excellent connector. Um, you know, radio is a place that uh, people can rally around and get information about their community, but only if there are radio stations that are willing to engage at that level and do it. You know, if you're just going to play 10 in a row and another 10 in a row and another 10 in a row, um, you can get that on the Internet now. You can get music on demand anywhere. But, um, you know, uh, radio stations like VOCM have created 
uh, a place for people to come when they need news and information. So when something in the community is happening, when disaster strikes or there's a crisis or an emergency, everybody knows that you can turn to VOCM and find out what's going on. And that's what makes this format and AM radio special. Um, not so much in other communities where you might have 15, 16, 18 radio stations with 17 of them playing music, one of them doing news and information, and not really spending the kind of resources on it to make it the robust service it should be. Um, but VOCM is different because uh, Newfoundland is a it's an island to begin with, and there's a sense on that island of community and belonging. And the radio station, in this particular case, VOCM, is the beacon that is connecting the island at all of its points. Uh, you know, through its VOCM radio network, uh, the island is covered with news and information. We've got people, uh, you've got people out in, in the far corners of, of the province being able to report back in and get information to people. And I think that's extremely important, and that's why people know uh, that this radio station serves a very, very important purpose now and in many years to come. In terms of the Bell layoffs, do you think that we can see the impacts uh, affect us here? You might see a little bit of it on television. I think one positive thing that came uh, out of Bell's decisions yesterday for Newfoundland is the fact that uh, they committed to adding videographers to uh, Newfoundland and St. John's in particular, where I don't think they had any before. So uh, I think you've seen CTV uh, kind of step up and say, listen, you know, we're going to cut our expenses uh, in other places like Los Angeles and our Washington Bureau and our Forum Bureaus. We're going to save that money and we're going to reinvest some of those savings into provinces now where we haven't had as much coverage as we probably should have. And I think as CTV narrows its focus from being a, uh, a national slash international broadcaster to basically being uh, a local and national broadcaster, that should benefit uh, people in St. John's and Newfoundland because uh, CTV is going to do a better job of covering things in and around St. John's and Newfoundland. And with these layoffs, there have been some uh, legendary names laid off. Uh, does this represent a sort of changing of the guard? I, I, I hope not. Um, you know, I think there's always going to be a place for uh, local radio and to a degree local television. Um, uh, you know, there may not be as many stations in the future uh, on the air, but the ones who do a good job of serving their local constituencies, their local communities, of providing a service that can't be duplicated on the Internet, those TV and radio stations in particular are always going to find an audience. They're always going to be able to uh, deliver an audience to advertisers and to be able to generate enough revenue so it's a profitable endeavor. And I, I think although there may be fewer of them, there will always be uh, a couple of great radio stations like a VOCM in most markets that can be successful. So that's uh, radio consultant uh, Mark Mayhew uh, from Ontario speaking with Noah Shepard in the VOCM newsroom about this. Uh, well, it's, it was it was quite a shocking piece of information that came down yesterday. Bell Media laying off some 1,300 positions across the country, shuttering a number of radio stations and selling off a few others and closing their um uh, bureaus in Los Angeles and uh, London, England. So um, it was uh, it was a pretty. But Mark May, who who's been watching these things very closely, uh, thinks there's a a very good basis and future here in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is encouraging 
I'm sure, to, to all of our listeners to hear. And to broadcasters, uh, too. <laughs> to broadcasters uh, as I well. I had that l- lump in my throat, too, when I heard that story about Bell, but same lump in my throat when I heard when Ford was originally not going to have AM radios in their new vehicles, but mm. they had since uh, went back on that decision because they realized that you need it for emergencies situations so absolutely um a few years ago i uh, bought a little under the counter type of radio and it didn't have am on it i really yeah i immediately tossed it yeah i'm really surprised by that yeah uh, as was i (laughs) to be (laughs) that's probably you just assume (laughs) it would be there yeah and uh, so i i got rid of it it was of no use to me (laughs) if you know what i mean so and there you have it very interesting Uh, things do change very very quickly but uh, of one thing you can be sure we'll always uh, be here to give you some information anyway to let you know what's going on as it happens so uh yeah for sure um uh, claudette i really appreciate this thanks thank you you. And we'll be, uh, will you be getting out now after supper? And Oh, you know, I was, I asked myself that question about half an hour ago and I thought, what, what excuse am I going to use not to get out? What's the weather like, Linda? It's lovely out oh, there. Okay, can't use the weather as an excuse. We'll see. So I'll uh, l- leave you with this. Husband got out to mow the lawn we, uh, yesterday. Uh, I went out and took care of uh, the poops right. first. So that was great. So while I was doing that, he did the front lawn where we had just planted... He and I, together, a lilac. Oh, that's your favorite. It's my favorite. And? Vroom. No. Yes, right over. No. Gone. Who did that? <laughs> he, he did? He did. Oh, so he's, he's like, oh, I house. forgot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you another one, he said. <laughs> anyway, there you have it. I couldn't say anything because the lawn was pretty really high. needed to be done. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... Yeah. You know, you got to weigh these things. Pick your battles, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the hill to die on last night. No, time. it wasn't. <laughs> Claudette, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great evening.